Shalom and welcome back to TarachStudy.com and our study of Sefer Tvarim. My name is Menachem Niktag. Today we continue our study of Parshat Ekev, Shur number 5 out of 6. Our study today will begin in chapter 10, verse 12 and continue until chapter 11, verse 12. It will divide into three sections. In chapter 10, from verses 12 through 22, we'll be basically focusing on what is special about our relationship with God and what God expects from us. In chapter 11, verses 1 through 9, will be discussion of what is special about the first generation that is now about to enter the land. And in chapter 11, verses 10 through 12, will be discussion of what is special about the land of Israel. Or we could summarize and say that this is a very special shiur, because part one will discuss what is special about our God. Part two will be what is special about this generation. And part three will be what is special about our land. In our study today, we also hope to reach a better understanding of certain sections of our Siddur, especially in relation to our prayers on the holidays. So let's begin our study with chapter 10, verse 12, Parakyot Pasukyot Bet, and we will discuss how this verse and this introduction will be connected to the previous discussion in chapter 9, in the beginning of chapter 10. Vata Yisrael, ma Adonai Elohecha shoamimach. And now Israel, what is it that Hashem your God is asking from you? Not a very simple question, but we will see a very important answer. Ki im lira It is only that he wants you to fear Hashem your God. To walk in his ways. We will return to that phrase again very soon. oto. And to love him. And to serve Hashem your God with all your heart and all your soul. That is easier said than done. God is asking that you dedicate your entire life to serving Him. But let's begin with a very important Rashi on this verse that highlights the connection between this and the previous section. Rashi says as follows, Even though you have done all this, referring to all the sinful behavior that Moshe Rabbeinu described back in chapter 9 in the beginning of chapter 10, Still, God's mercy and His love for you is still there. And despite everything that you've sinned in front of Him, the only thing He asks for you is to continue to fear Him and to serve Him. This would fit very nicely with our discussion yesterday in regard to the purpose of rebuke and how it relates to prayer. That if someone hears his rebuke and recognizes that God can forgive, but he can take that rebuke and make it transformative. His knowledge of what he did wrong can improve his attitude and be more ready to serve God to the best of his ability, then rebuke becomes a constructive part of our daily life. In light of this, if we look at each phrase of what it is that God is asking from us, we can see the different stages of this process. First and foremost, to fear God or to be in awe of God and remember that you have responsibility as being a member of his nation. The next phrase, to walk in his ways, we discussed earlier that that is the idea of emulating God, doing justice and righteousness, what was defined back in Sefer Breshit, chapter 18, verse 19, to walk in the ways of God, was doing the third one, to love God, and doing it out of love and not only out of fear. And then finally, to serve Hashem your God with all your heart and all your soul, we will see later on how beautifully the rabbis understand that this is referring to prayer. We have an ancient tradition that when the Torah says to serve God with your heart, that is referring to prayer or tefillah. 
And if our understanding of prayer is correct, if prayer is when we remember our relationship with God, not only asking God to forgive us, but recognizing He can forgive, but we have to be sincere in our understanding of what we did wrong and taking upon ourselves to do better, then that process of prayer keeps our relationship strong in our day-to-day lives. Now in verse 13, Pasuk Gimel, Lishmor et mitzvot Adonai petchu kotav, to keep the commandments of Hashem and all His statutes, Asher nochim et hayom that I am commanding you today for your own good. Moshe Rabbeinu is emphasizing it is not only about attitude, but it is also about being diligent in keeping the minute details of halacha. With that background, Moshe Rabbeinu is going to continue about our relationship with God. Pasig Yedal at verse 14. Hein ladonai Elohecha hashamayim ushmei hashamayim. Behold, Hashem your God, He owns the heavens and the heavens above the heavens. Haaretz v'cho'a the land and everything in it. What Moshe Rabbeinu is reminding the people that God created everything and owns everything. So what does that have to do with this choice of you? Pasig Tedvah, verse 15. Rat only it was that with your forefathers, God desired them to love them. And he chose their offspring from among all the nations, as is the case today. In these last four verses, Moshe Rabbeinu is relating to two very fundamental questions. Question number one, why Amisra was chosen? And the second question is going to be why Amisra was chosen. Now, it sounds like the same question, but listen carefully. There's one question, why is God choosing a nation in the first place? For what purpose is God choosing a nation in general? And then once we understand why God is choosing a nation, then we need to understand why he chose our nation over any other nation. So there's a question, why we were chosen? And the second question will be, why we were chosen? We find the answer to these two questions in a very famous prayer called the Ataba Khartanu that we recite as the introduction to the Shmonesri on all the Jewish holidays. Recall the words of that prayer. You have chosen us from all the nations. You loved us and you wanted us. And you elevated us from all the other nations. Notice if you look in verse 15, we see every single concept of that opening line. First, God desired your forefathers to love them. Chashak is synonymous with Pratsitabanu. Lahaftotanu, we have the word here Ahava. And Vaivchar Bizarmacharehem, it's exactly Atabakhartanu. Mikolamim, Kayomazeh, that's Brahmamtanu, Mikolalashonot. So all the key concepts that we say in the beginning of Atabakhartanu are based on verse 15. That answers the question why we were chosen over any other nation. And the answer that God gives was very simple. It was a love decision. That doesn't mean there was nothing rational about it. But above the rational reason, it was basically a love decision, very similar to when one chooses a spouse. Based on this, one would have to say that it was not that God needed a nation to love and therefore He chose us. God needed a nation to serve Him. And why did God pick this nation over any other nation? That was a love decision. Then in the second half of the prayer, we explain for what purpose we were chosen. God brought us closer to Him in order to serve Him. That's exactly the opening line in verse 12. What does God want from you? To fear Him, to walk in His ways, to love Him, and to serve Him. Therefore, God chose us to serve Him. And He sanctified us by giving His commandments. 
That is the next line. That's verse 13. Lishmor mitzvot Hashem petchukotav. Asher nochim etzavcha hayom. And then finally, v'shimcha gerova kadosh aleinu karata. The underlying purpose for why God chose us to keep these mitzvot was in order for His name and reputation to be known to all the nations. And that was the theme we've seen since the beginning of this speech in Sefer Devarim. As Moshe explained in the beginning of chapter 4, verses 5 through 8, where he explained, should we keep all the laws properly, the other nations will come to recognize God by the way we keep His commandments and His close connection to His people. The next line, verse 16, will be difficult to translate because it's based on concepts that we found earlier in Chumash. You should either cut or circumcise the orla on your heart. Here the imagery is based on the mitzvah of circumcision, which of course is the reminder of the very first covenant God made with Avram Avinu to be his nation. And here Moshe Avinu is using an analogy from circumcision. We must circumcise our hearts as well. There's a famous Hasidic understanding here that if one wants to bring his heart closer to God, he doesn't need to create a new heart. All the potential is there in the heart that exists. It's simply there's a covering that's holding the heart back. So instead of working on making a new heart, you have to let go of the shell that is covering your heart. What they call in Hasidut, to get rid of the klipot, to get rid of the coverings or the shell, and just let the heart burst out once the coverings are taken away. The second statement Moshe made, Vorpechem lo takshuod, do not harden your neck, that clearly refers to what he said earlier, that you are an amk you are stiff-necked people, which means you're difficult to change your ways. And now he's saying, do not continue to stiffen your neck, which means fix the sin and your attitude problem from the sin of the golden calf, and instead learn from your mistakes, do not leave him again. Now in verses 17 through 19, Moshe Rabbeinu is going to explain one of the most basic concepts of Chumash in regard to what does it mean to walk in God's ways. Pasuk Yudzayin, verse 17, Ki Adonai Eloichem, Hu Elohei HaElohim, Vadonai Adonim, Because Hashem your God, He is the God of all the gods, and the Master of all the masters, Ha'el HaGadol HaGibor Banora, I'm sure you remember this phrase from the opening line of the Shemun So the God who is great and mighty and the awesome God, Asher lo yisa fanim v'lo ikach shochad. A God who shows no favor and takes no bribe. Now in verse 18 in Pasuk Yudchet, Moshe continues this description of God's attributes. Osen mishpat yatom vamana. God does justice for the orphan and for the widow. Ba'ohev ger latet lo lechem v'simla. And God loves the stranger to give him food and clothing. And now in verse 19 comes what I like to call the punchline. Pasuk Yotet, Ba'avtem et ager, ki gerim heitem be'eretz Mitzrayim. You must love the stranger because you were strangers once in the land of Egypt. There appears to be a contradiction between verse 18 and 19. Because in verse 18 it says that God takes care of the stranger. He loves the stranger. And then it says in verse 19 it's your job to take care of him. So if someone believes that God will take care of the stranger, why are you showing your lack in faith of God? Or why are you getting involved if you have to take care of the stranger? Of course, that is exactly the point that Moshe Rabbeinu is making. The way that God takes care of the stranger is by commanding you to take care of the stranger. The way that God takes care of doing justice to the orphan and the widow is by commanding you to take care of those unfortunate people. And that's what we call not only a relationship with God, but a partnership with God. And that is going to be the concept of Bahalach Tavidrachav, to walk in God's ways, which is doing Mishpat and Staka. According to this understanding, when someone sees something unjust in society, it's not his job to complain about God and complain about this injustice. 
Rather, God gave him the ability to do something about it. So in our service of God, we are constantly in search of how we can improve the conditions of the less fortunate in our day-to-day life. And Moshe Rabbeinu summarizes this in verse 20 in Pasach Chaf. At Adonai Elohecha Tira, Oto Tavod, Ovot Tidbak, Hashem, your God, you must fear Him and serve Him, and you must cling to Him, and you should swear by His name. Here, Moshe Rabbeinu summarizes the key points of everything he said since verse 12, about what does God want from you, here adding the concept of clinging to God, called Dvekut, and swearing in God's name, which means that's who you believe in, and that's who you would swear by. Moshe Rabbeinu continues now in Pasuk Hafalaf, verse 21, Hu tilatacha vuhu Elohecha. He is your glory, and He is your God. Which means, when you follow His laws, that's how you glorify God, and that's how you glorify yourselves. Asher asa itcha atagdolot v'tanorot ha'ele asher ra'u enecha. And it's for that reason, He did all these marvelous and awesome deeds that you saw with your own eyes. We could understand this, that God is saying that all the great miracles I did for you was a type of a courtship in order to impress upon you how worthwhile it is to enter this relationship with me, to serve me forever. Verse 22, With only 70 souls, your forefathers went down to Egypt. That's the story in Parshat Vayigash and Sefer Breshit, when Yaakov and his family go down to meet Yosef. At that time, we were only a family and not a nation. And now, hundreds of years later, And now, Hashem your God has made you as numerous as the stars of the heaven. That phrase we've seen already several times in Sefer Dvarim, Kochvei HaShemayim, reminds us of God's promise to Avram Avinu in the covenant of the parts, in Ritman of Tarim, where he promises to watch our history and redeem us and then conquer the land. And also, in the oath that he made after the events of the Ekedah, where he reinforced this promise with an oath. You may recall in the Haggadah of Passover, when we tell the story of the Exodus by quoting the verses of Aramiya Vedavi. There we say, Aramiya Vedavi, Vayer Mitzrayma, as a proof text for that opening statement, we quote here from verse 22 in chapter 10. Moshe Rabbeinu now in chapter 11 will begin a new section, reviewing once again the key themes, but now from a bit of a different angle. Perikud Aleph, Pasuk Aleph, chapter 11, verse 1. And thou shalt love Hashem your God, you must watch his guard, and you must keep his statutes, his judgments, his commandments, all the days of your life. The meaning of the Shamartam Mishmarto, to watch his guard, we will now explain in light of a very important Ramban on that phrase. Here I suggest that you see the Ramban inside, and not only the Ramban here, but also the Ramban in the parallel verse in Sefer Breshit in chapter 26, verse 5, where God explained to Yitzchak, Ekev Asher Shama that Avram obeyed me, and he watched my guard, dear Ramban, and Sforno as well, explained that the way that Avram watched God's guard was by protecting God, talking about him, arguing against those who promoted idol worship, and was dedicated as well to keeping his laws. And there he, as well as Sforno, explained that the way that we watch God's guard is by lalechet bidrachav, is by walking in his ways, which he explains is emulating God with the famous line in Masechet Shabbat, Daf Kufla Medimel 133, just like Hashem is forgiving and merciful, you too must be forgiving and merciful. Pasuk Bet, verse 2, 
כי לא את בניכם אשר לא ידעו ואשר לא ראו את מוסר אדוני אלוהיכם, את גודלו ואת ידו החזקה וזרועו הנטויה. משה explains now that you are different than the next generation that will continue you once you enter the land. You have a special responsibility because God chose your generation to start the nation. So you should know today, it was not your children, but rather it was you who experienced and witnessed and saw the lesson of Hashem your God, and they also saw His majesty, His mighty hand, and an outstretched arm. And then Moshe continues, all the things that you saw, either those who were young and present at the time they went out of Egypt, or those who saw all the miracles that happened when they were in the desert. So in Pasuk Gimel verse 3, And all the signs and all the deeds that Hashem did within Egypt, against Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and his entire land. And then he continues in Pasuk Dalad, That which he did to the army of Egypt, to the horses and to the chariots. As Hashem rolled back the water of the Red Sea when they were chasing you, and God destroyed that army to this very day. And what he did for you in the desert, until you arrived here in this place in Arvot Moab. Pasuk Vav, verse 6. And that which God did to Datan and Aviram, the sons of Eliav, the son of Ruvain, when the land opened up its mouth and swallowed them together with their homes and their tents. And every living thing that was at their feet from amidst all of Israel. What's interesting here is to note that the only people mentioned here that were swallowed up by the ground are Datan and Aviram. And Korach here is not mentioned. The reason why is simple because if you remember the study of Parshat Korach, Korach and the 250 men were not swallowed up by the ground. They were burnt by the fire that came from God when they were standing in the Mishkan offering the Ktorah. Even though Korach's name is associated with the political rebellion of Datan Baviram, it seems more likely that Korach himself was together with the 250 men who were rebelling against the decision that only Aaron's children can bring sacrifices and not everyone. According to the rabbis, Korach received both punishments. First, he was burnt by the fire together with the 250 men, and afterwards his body rolled and was swallowed up by the ground. Pasuk Zion, verse 7, Because you saw with your own eyes all these great deeds that Hashem has done. In this reminder, Moshe is emphasizing your generation is special. You were privy to witnessing the great hand of God, and God was doing this because you have the responsibility of starting the nation. God does not intend to act in this miraculous manner for all generations. Rather, He picks one generation as the nation is beginning to impress upon them His greatness. And that first generation now has to pass down that tradition to the next generation. And that will be again one of the key themes in the speech, the need to teach this from one generation to the next. Pasachet, verse 8. Therefore, you must keep this commandment, here referring to HaMitzvah of this entire section, which I'm commanding you today, Laman in order that you become strong, so you will come and conquer the land that you are now passing over in order to possess. And then finally, in Pasuk Tet, 
in order that you live for a long time in the land as a nation and do not go into exile. The land that Hashem has sworn to your forefathers to give to them and to their offspring afterwards, the land flowing of milk and honey. This last verse is clearly relating to the reward that we receive for the fifth commandment of honoring our parents. And as we explained before, this is not only a reward for the specific law of honoring parents, but rather it's a consequence for being committed to passing on this tradition from one generation to the next. Now in the next three verses, Moshe Rabbeinu is going to explain what is so special about the land of Israel in relation to its climate. In Perikid Aleph, Pasuk Yud, chapter 11, verse 10, Ki ha'aretz asher ata v'ashama l'rishta, loch ha'aretz mitzrayim hi asher yatzatem misham, asher tisra et zaracha, vishkita braglacha kegan hayarak. The land that you're going there to inherit is not like the land of Egypt that you left from, because in the land of Egypt, when you would sow your field, you would water the field with your feet, as one does in a vegetable garden. To appreciate this verse and how it forms the background to the second parsha of Kriyachma, we have to understand how farming was done back in Egypt. The Nile River is the main source of water in Egypt. There's very little rain, but there's a lot of water thanks to the Nile River. But when the water of the Nile River flows into the delta, the Egyptians built a very complex irrigation system, bringing the water of the Nile to the fields through irrigation ditches. How would one open and close those ditches to water the field? It was very simple. It was an ancient type of a faucet using dirt. To close the irrigation ditch, you would kick the dirt with your foot to close it. And to open the irrigation ditch, you would kick away the dirt with your foot. And therefore, the way one watered the field in Egypt was with their feet. Now, is that better or worse than the land of Israel? According to Rashi, the land of Israel is much better because... In the land of Israel, Rashi claims, someone can go to sleep at night and it rains from the heaven and God waters the field for you. In Egypt, you have to get up in the morning and you have to walk and use your feet in order to water your field. Rashi also mentions that in Egypt, because the Nile River isn't always at the highest level, you would have to take the water with a bucket and carry it to your field sometimes if your field was higher than the water level. In the land of Israel, because the water comes from rain, you don't need to do that as well. Almost all the other commentators, especially his grandson, the Rashbam, argue and say, no, from a technical point of view, the land of Egypt is much better because it has a constant and consistent supply of water from the Nile River. Almost throughout the entire year, the Nile River is flowing with water. And therefore, you can do agriculture all year long and you can have more than one grain crop every year. In the land of Israel, there's only one rain season and no one guarantees exactly how much rain there's going to be. And therefore, there's a much higher risk factor for a farmer in the land of Israel in contrast to the farmer in the land of Egypt. Indeed, it might be easier to water your field in Israel if it rains all the time, but you're taking a very heavy risk because if it doesn't rain, you'll have nothing to eat. In the land of Egypt, you are not dependent on rain. Rather, you are only dependent on the Nile River, which is much more constant and consistent. And for that reason, the Nile River was one of the main gods of Egypt. In fact, that is why Almost all the plagues in the very beginning are attacking the Nile River itself. Recall that the other main god of Egypt is the sun god, Ra, and the last plagues attack the sun, especially Choshech, the plague of darkness. And because we need the sun and the Nile River for, ag for agriculture and grain in the land of Egypt, they became their gods. There's no rain god in Egypt because you don't need rain. 
as we'll see later on in the land of Israel, there's a rain god called Baal, because a farmer in the land of Israel needs rain in order to survive. But Chumash will say now that the rain in the land of Israel comes directly from God, and as we will see soon, will be a function of your deeds. So let's continue now with verse 11, Pasuk Yed Aleph. The land that you are now passing over there to inherit, it is a land of hills and valleys. You will drink the water from the rain from heaven. Again, is this worse or better? It depends how you look at it. But there's definitely a much higher risk factor because A, it does not rain all year long, and B, you'll never know for sure how much rain there's going to be. It's not by chance that whenever there was a famine in the land of Israel, everyone went down to Egypt, including our forefathers. We never find people in Egypt coming to Israel to get grain. It's exactly the opposite. The solution we will find in verse 12 in Pasuk Yudbet. Eretz Asher Adonai Elohecha, Doreshota. This is the land that Hashem your God looks after. Tamid, Enei Adonai Elohecha Ba, Merishit Hashana, Ba'ad Achrit Shana. Always the eyes of Hashem, your God, is watching over this land from the beginning of the year to the end of the year. What year is it talking about? It seems to be talking about the agricultural year that begins in the fall with the early rains in the months of Cheshvan and Kislev and continues to the end of that harvest season. In fact, this most likely is the reason why the holiday in the first day of the seventh month is known as Rosh Hashanah in our jargon because in the Torah it's simply called Yom Zikaron as a day to remember our relationship with God, but because the rainy season begins in the fall immediately after the month of Tishrei, therefore the beginning of the agricultural year, which is dependent on the beginning of the rainy season in Israel, that makes the beginning of Tishrei, Reshit Hashanah, or as we call it Rosh Hashanah, the beginning of our year. Notice there's beautiful wordplay in, in reference to God's providence over the giving of rain. Ene Hashem, God's eyes, is clearly just a metaphor because God does not have eyes. But in Hebrew, the word for a, a spring is a ma'ayan. If you're familiar with many sites in Israel, like En Gedi, there's En Charod in the Galilee, there's En Kelt, in Vadi Kelt, between Jerusalem and Yericho. An eye in Hebrew does not only mean an eye, it also means a spring source of water. You may remember from the Aftar of Tisheba, the famous verse in Jeremiah, in the Navi Yermiel, in chapter 8, verse 23, Oh, that my head were water and my eyes a fountain of tears. The eye is a source of tears. And just like a mayan, just like a spring gives off water, the eye has the ability to produce tears. One's eyes are like a spring of tears. As we will see in tomorrow's shiur, in the famous second parsha of Kriyachma, God promises, if you keep my laws, I'll give the rain at the right time. If you don't keep my laws, I'll hold back the rain. Now, is that better or worse for day-to-day -day life? If a person is interested in a relationship with God, if a person wants a barometer to check how well he's doing, then living in this climate, in this environment, where there's a need for God, and that need for God is translated by a need for rain, then someone who wants to have a connection to God and wants to have a sign from God in regard to how well he's doing would want to be in this risky climate. Someone who doesn't want to be dependent on God and doesn't want to keep mitzvot, he would rather live in a different country. Therefore, we saw earlier in Sefer Breshit, when Avram and Lot traveled to Egypt, and then they returned back to Israel, Avram and Lot get into an argument, and Lot decides to leave Avram Avinu, 
And there it says, Lot lifts up his eyes and sees the whole Jordan River Valley because it has this river, just like the land of Egypt. And Lot's decision to leave Avram Avinu and prefer a life where there's a constant source of water from the Jordan River, similar to life in Egypt, that is a decision that separates him from Avram Avinu. Avram Avinu wants a life where he's dependent on God and Lot does not want to take that challenge. And later we see that life in a land where there's no need for God can lead to corrupt behavior like what happens later in the city of Stone where Lot moved to. In tomorrow's show, we'll continue this theme of Matar in the land of Israel and see how it forms a very key theme in Chumash from the very beginning of the story of creation, chapter 2 in the story of Ganeden.